when I was trying to consider what the Lord would have us to hear this morning, I was trying to put together a message and um, in the process wrote three or four good messages. And um, we're going to go with something a little different this morning though. I want to read this to you real quick. Today is September 11th. We are remembering all those that lost their lives that day. And no question, it was a great tragedy. I'm not disputing that this morning. Somebody's going to leave here this morning and say, that brother's insensitive to what the day stands for and he don't care about heroes and, oh, you're, you're wrong. I've got a bigger picture, though. I've got a bigger purpose. I want to show you um, just a few things that happened in 2001. On September 11th of 2001, 2,823 people died in the collapse of the World Trade Towers. 2,823 people died. On that day, at least 35,000 people died of starvation. Eight months earlier in 2001 in India, 20,005 people lost their lives in the deadliest earthquake of 2001. A total of 2,400,000 people died in the United States that year. Let me repeat that one more time. A total of 2,400,000 people died in the United States that year. 2,800 of them were in the towers in New York City. In round numbers, that means 700,000 people died from heart disease in 2001. 550,000 died from cancer in 2001. 160,000 died from stroke in 2001. 120,000 died from chronic respiratory disease in 2001. 93,000 died from accidents of various kinds. 68,000 died from diabetes. 67,000 died from pneumonia. 49,000 died from Alzheimer's. 41,730 died in car wrecks and 15,000 died in murder in 2001. And America is only 5% of the world's population. About 56 million people died on this earth in 2001. 56 million people died on this earth in 2001. In Africa, 1 million children died of malaria. Malaria, something that we go in the hospital, get a few shots for, and it's, it's took care of. But one million children died from it in Africa in 2001. That year, 2,379 people died every day. 2,300,000 million African people died with AIDS in 2001. Death and destruction is no surprise to God. It wasn't a surprise the day the towers got struck by the airplanes. At any given moment, God could have, and the planes would have been off course. At any given moment, God could have said, you won't even be a pilot. You won't even be able to get on the plane. At any given time, God could have stopped any part of that terrorist plan, but he did not. God ordained that the towers get struck. Some people would throw stones at me today for saying that. I tell you the truth. God ordained that the towers get struck. God ordained that 2,873 people die in the towers when they fell. God ordained that one million kids in Africa would die in 2001 from malaria. God ordained all manner of suffering in this world, but there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger purpose. God, if you'll remember from a few weeks ago, I began a series of, of messages on God's purpose and all of the things that he done. And God's purpose and why he subjected this world to futility. Why he cursed the ground and cursed everything that came from creation to a curse of decay. The Bible says that he done it for our sake. He done it in hope. He done it, he flipped this world upside down because... Where we are in this world is completely away from God and apart from God, there is no life. So God decided I've got to turn this thing upside down where I can not let them put their hope and trust in this world because there's no life in this world. But if I flip this thing upside down and I cause them to lose all hope in this world, then they will turn to me 
and I can save them. God had a purpose for everything he'd done. You remember I covered this from the book of, of uh, Romans chapter 8, I believe is where it was. He had a purpose for all manner of suffering. Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us on that day, which shall be revealed in us on that day. It is not here yet. We do not have the full redemption. We only have the first fruits of it. I, I went on and I, I began to show you how in non-Christian's life, God allows suffering and all these things to take place for their good in the hope that they will lose hope in this world and be saved. God allows this suffering to take place in Christian's life for their good, for the purpose of purifying them from all the remnants of sin. He's perfecting you. He's bringing you back to that place where, where you originally were designed to be and that is to be the image of God. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that you, man and woman, were created in the image of who? God. He's bringing you and restoring you. That's why you had to be born again because he is renewing you day by day. He's transforming you by bringing you back to that place of the glory of God. We learn that during this time of suffering that we do two things. During this time that we may not necessarily know God's perfect will in the situation of our suffering, do we just not pray? Do we just say, well, God, whatever you want to do, you do. No. We learn that we pray and we pray and we pray for faith to be healed from our disease, for faith to be delivered from our suffering, for whatever faith it takes for us to be delivered from whatever it is that he's put us in. We pray for those things, but at the same time, we pray that God will give us faith to sustain us, to bear us up, to hold us up, if it is his will that we endure through this suffering. You'll remember, if you were here, you'll remember that I talked to you about so many preachers today will stand in front of you and say the only reason somebody didn't get delivered or the only reason somebody didn't get healed is because there wasn't enough faith or maybe somebody didn't believe. Well, explain the majority of the New Testament to me then. How come the majority of the New Testament doesn't speak of genuine faith being proven by who gets delivered, but instead it says genuine faith is proven by who stays true and confident in God while they endure the suffering? Explain that to me if it's about a lack of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 35 through 39 that by faith they were tortured. By faith... They were not delivered from the sword, from the spear. They were not delivered from persecution. They were not delivered from afflictions. By faith, they endured through whatever manner of suffering God sent them through. But not everybody has this knowledge. Last week, we learned that God's main purpose in our life is to display His glory, if you'll remember that. Our main purpose is to accept the grace that God has given us, the undeserved goodness of God, and then turn around and be a mirror that reflects and uses all the goodness of God in order to display His glory for all the world to see. We do this through acts of mercy, through acts of kindness, through acts of gentleness, through acts of love. We take all of His goodness that He has bestowed on us and then we be a piece of conduit, a channel for the glory of God to be delivered back unto all the world. And then today, I want to get to summon every bit of this up because next week I'm going to start a new series, but this is going to lead me into that. So y'all bear with me. Turn to Psalm chapter 67. We're going to wrap this thing up with the great purpose of God that he reveals to us in Psalm 67. God's great purpose. We're going to read the whole psalm, verses 1 through 7. If you'd stand for the reading of God's word. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Here we go. Psalm 67, verse 1. 
Here we go. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. Yes, God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. You may be seated. Kirby Carpenter, take us the Lord in prayer, please. Out of all the suffering and all the purpose that God has in this world, what's the big picture? What is the big picture, God? What is it that you are trying to do? I know that our job is to display your glory, and, and, and I know that you have all these things in our life for purpose and reason. I know you are sovereign God. I know you're not a helpless God that sits up on the throne and just has to sit back and, and watch his people suffer and not be able to do anything about it. That's not the God I serve. I don't know about you. My God is sovereign my God knows everything that happens. He knows every word that's going to come out of your mouth. He, he knows every single thing that every person is going to do, whether good or evil, and he knows how to work every bit of it for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. That's my God. So God, what is your big purpose? And I'm going to tell you, I saw four things. I saw four things in this psalm that, that the psalmist wrote that really draw, drawed my attention to God's great purpose and how we are to fulfill this great purpose. I want you to look at verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 67. He says, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. So we got several things there. First off, mercy. God, we need your mercy. We need your undeserved mercy. Uh, uh, um, forgiveness. We need your. We need your undeserved gratitude. We need your undeserved goodness, God. We don't deserve it. It is just your mercy, and we need this in our lives. We are wretched sinners at best. We have all sinned and fallen short of displaying the glory of God, which we were created to be. And because of that, we are not worthy of anything that you that you have. We're not even worthy to live. Because we have completely stepped away from the purpose that we were created for. So God, we need your mercy. And not only that, God, but we need you to bless us. God, we, we, if, if you don't bless us, then we've got nothing. All things come from you. If it is not from your good hand, then there is absolutely nothing we have. So God, we need your mercy. We fully rely on you for that. You're the only one that can save. God, we need your blessing. You're the only one we can rely on for that. Unless you give it to me, I shall not have it. And God, not only that, but we need your face to shine upon us. 
And if your face will shine upon us, then there's no question that we'll have your mercy. There's no question that we'll have your blessing if your face will just shine upon us. You remember whenever, um, whenever Moses was standing up on the mountain and he said, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, Moses, um, you can't handle it, buddy. I would love for you to be able to see my glory, but you can't handle it. He said, well, God, I, I really want to see your glory. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I can't show you my face. For if I show you my face, you will surely die. But I'll show you my hind parts. I'll show you just the hem of my garment that comes by. Just a glimpse of my glory. And just a glimpse of that thing was so spectacular, it was so glorious, that Moses' face radiated from the glimpse of glory that he saw. But it was just his hind parts. Here the psalmist says, make your face to shine upon us. Cause your face to shine upon us. And God answers and says, I tell you what, I'm going to do it for you. Just a few years later, he sends a, a young baby that was born in a manger named Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. That when you kiss the face of Jesus, you've kissed the face of who? God. When you look at Jesus, you have seen the face of God. When you look at all that He is, you have seen every bit of His character, all of His glory, all of His splendor. So He has been merciful to us through Jesus Christ. He has blessed us through Jesus Christ. And He has caused His face to shine upon us through Jesus Christ. And now He has a purpose for us. And it comes in verse 2. He says, God, the reason why we want your mercy, your blessing, and your face to shine upon us is so that your way may be known on all the earth. We want you to be known on all the earth. But this speaker, is, this writer is not writing from his own feelings. How many of you know that the Bible says that all of these writings are inspired by who? God, the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God's purpose through this psalmist is that he, his ways would be known unto all the earth. And who has came and gave us the example of all of his ways? Jesus Christ. He says not only that, he says, I, I, want, my, I want my way to be known on all the earth and I want my salvation to be known among all the nations. Does this sound familiar? Anybody ever heard of the Great Commission? The Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And when we go out and we do these things, that's when the ways of God are made known unto all the world. That's whenever His salvation is made known among all the nations. Now my question was, Kevin, how are you fulfilling this part of God's purpose? What are you doing in your life right now that you are making His ways known on all the earth? How are you living in your life right now? What are you spending your time and your resources doing in your life that not only makes His name known but shows His salvation among all the nations because this is the one purpose of God that he starts out with to make his way known. He wants to be known. He wants to show his salvation. And you know why? Because this is the only way that we can be restored back to the purpose that he created us for. Until we know the ways of God, until we walk in his salvation and live fervently in his salvation, until we do those things... We will never be restored back to the place of displaying God's glory, but instead we'll live for ourselves and we'll keep displaying our glory. Come here, Candace. Come up here. Let me get my deacons to come up, please.
Diane, come up here. Let me let me get you up here too. I couldn't keep going and look over and see her crying and knowing that, I mean, what are we here for? I can teach you the word anywhere. Um, but I look over and I see her hurting and, and crying like that. I, I don't, I don't want to just keep going. I want to stop. And um, the Bible says pray for one another. You know, we bear each other's burdens. And she, um, she's hurting for her mama right now. She don't know what God's will is in her mother's life. Diane's got some bad news as far as the cancer is in her liver. Um, they're going to try to start her on a, a, an experimental um, treatment. And uh, she's got to go back to the doctor to see what they're going to do and um, what they're going to say. We don't know what God's going to do in this. You know what? I would love to sit here and tell you that, 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 that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's going to take care of this. You know, Jesus passed many sick people in his life, but there were some that he did not heal. He passed many dead people in the tombs, but there were some that he did not raise from the dead. The reason he didn't was because this was not the full redemption. He came to give us a foretaste of what the full redemption would look like. So there will be some that will be healed, but there will be some that will not be delivered and healed. There will be some that will be raised from the dead even, but there will be many that will not be raised from the dead. So we're going to pray for God to... Give us the desire of our heart and, 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 and take care of this cancer. You know what? We've seen it happen before. Where's Eddie Smith at? He right there. We've seen God take care of cancer. We've seen God remove this. We've seen God's hand at work so we know that he does it. But we're going to pray that, God, you give us that answer to our prayer. But if it's not your will, then we're going to pray that you give Candace and Diane and the family the strength that they need to bear them up through this to hold them up through this. Y'all pray with me. Father, I come to you. Lord, not because I'm anybody special, not because I know anything more than anybody else in this building, but because I have a, a burden on my heart for this family. Father, Lord, I, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know how it hurts. I don't know what, what it feels like, God. Lord, I, I only know that I hurt for them. Father, I'm praying because I know that you care for us and you said for us to cast our cares on you for that very reason. God, you said that we have not because we ask not. Father, your word says that, that when we pray for the sick, whenever we lift them up to you, Father, you said the prayer of faith saves them. Father, that's your words. And Father, I come to you right now praying in the name of Jesus. And God, I'm asking you from the desire of our hearts, Father, to remove this cancer. God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is in a place to where only you could receive the glory from it. Lord, it is not in a place where any other doctor can receive glory for this. It, is only, it could only be the work of your hand. And Father, I pray that you would glorify your name through this this morning. God, I believe in a God that heals or I'll go back to the house and go back to bed. Father, if you're not a God who heals, if you're not a God who saves, if you're not a God of mercy and grace and kindness and all of those things, then God, I don't want to serve you, but I know that you are all those things. And that's why I serve you. That's why I pray this morning. And Father, I ask that you would heal this sickness. Father, but I pray that if it is not your will, that if you have purpose in this, that this suffering be sustained, then God, I pray for your faith to sustain this family. God, they need you to hold them up. God, they need to have strength in their hearts that they can look at you and say, I'll gladly suffer in this affliction for you, God. Lord, they need the strength to be able to trust you, to know that you are still in full control, and I know that you're the only one that gives that strength. And God, I pray that faith would be given to them right now. Father, I pray for this family. Look at the desire of our heart, God, and as much as is possible to line up with your will, we pray that that would be done, God. Father, we ask this in the name above all other names. I ask this in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, I, and, and I, like I said, I'm not apologizing, but I do, um, I looked over and I seen her and I, I knew it was time to stop.
God's great purpose. To make him known. God's great purpose is to make him known into all the world. This is the only way that we're going to be restored back to the original purpose that we were designed in his, in his glory and his image to be. Jesus commands that we do this in the Great Commission so we know that this is ultimately God's big picture, God's big purpose. The next thing I see is in verse 3. God's next purpose comes from the people. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, not just a few people. He said, God, your second purpose that you want is to be praised. You want to be known in all the earth. You want your salvation to be known. And then you want to be praised in all the earth, among all the nations. And let me tell you, God is worthy of our praise. He is the center of His universe. A lot of people think that we are the center of His universe. Listen, we're not. I wish we could put ourselves on that pedestal to say, you, yes, God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son, but God loved you because of what you represented, the image of His glory. Because of what He created you to be, the image of His glory. God is the center of His universe and He desires and He wants and He will have praise. But He wants it from all the peoples. And the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let it take place. Let it happen. You know, a lot of people say, well, that sound, God sounds selfish to me. Well, let me explain something to you. In your life, Whatever you esteem the most is what you value the most, right? Whatever you, whatever you lift up in your life, whatever you put all of your desire and work toward, that is what you value the most in your life, right? How many of you work, work your butts off for your children? I mean, you work hard for your children. Why do you do that? Because you value your children. They are what you esteem most in your life and you put all of your time and resources into that. For some people, it's a hobby. For some people, it's, it's a job. For, for some people, it's just um, doing what you want to do. Wh whatever you esteem the most in your life is what you value the most. Well, listen, God is no different. Whatever He esteems the most in His world, He values the most. And do you know who is most valuable to God? He is. God is most valuable to God. His glory is most valuable to Him. Is there anything in the universe more valuable than God? How many times do you read God in the book of read God's words in the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah where he says, What what will you liken me to? What will you compare me to? What image will you create that that, that looks like me? Is there anything that you can do that can bring anything of value to compare to God? And the answer is no. And if we were wise in our life, then we would understand that God is most valuable, therefore we would esteem Him the highest thing in our life, and that's where praise comes from. God is no different than me and you as far as that mindset is concerned. If God were at any moment to declare glory toward anything else, then at that moment he would be saying, I am not the God worthy of all praise. I am not the God worthy of, of all these blessings that these people want to give to me. I am not all glorious. I am not all powerful. If at any moment God were to uplift anything other than himself, then he would cease to be God. Do you see that? It isn't that God is selfish. It is that God is God. You remember whenever Moses said, Moses said, God, what, who am I going to tell these people you are? What did he say? Tell them I am. That's good enough. I am. I am God. That's who I am. Everything that is is only because I said it to be. Everything that is not is only because I have not said for it to be. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am the first and I am the last. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am God. All glorious, all powerful, worthy of all praise. And he says, my second purpose is God. 
wants his people to praise him and he's worthy of it. The next thing I see comes from verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing, what's them last two words? For joy. Now listen, not only does God desire to be known among all the world, not only does he desire for his salvation to be known to all the world, not only does he desire for the, all the world to praise him, but he doesn't want you to just sing and praise him just because he said do it. No, but instead he says, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The next thing I see in God's purpose is this. God wants you to enjoy him. God is not some great father sitting up on his throne saying, I don't want my children to come to me because they burden me. He's not some great angry father who's up there just waiting to discipline. He's not some father up there who's burdened by his children asking him for things. His children come to him for a bicycle. You know what he wants to do? He wants to give them a bicycle. His children come to him and, and ask him for an allowance. You know what he wants to do? He wants to give them an allowance. The Bible tells us that it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There is nothing that God wants to withhold from you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to let his salvation be known unto all the world. He wants you to praise him, but he wants you to delight in him. He wants you to enjoy him. I want to look at just a few scriptures. The first one I'm going to look at, I'm going to skip a few, Tim. Let's go with Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. You like that? Psalm 37, verse 4. Look at what this says. This is the word of God, by the way. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, I want you to think about what God is saying right here. God is saying, if you will delight in me, if you will enjoy being the image of my glory, if you will enjoy showing acts of love, and kindness and mercy if you will delight yourself in me then I want to give you the desires of your heart but it, wherever there is a truth in the word of God there is also the opposite that is true amen think about it like this the Bible says the truth shall set you free well if the Bible says truth shall set you free then that must mean lies will keep you bound you see that there is always an opposite that is actually true. Well, and this is the same too. If God says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart, then that means that God threatens to remove many things from you if you refuse to delight in him. If all you want to do is be begrudgingly serving him, if you just want to give because you have to give, if you want to come to church because you have to come to church. If you want to stand and sing because you have to stand and sing. If you refuse to know his ways. If you refuse to, to accept his salvation. If you refuse to give him praise out of the goodness and delight of your heart. Then guess what? He's really got nothing for you. Well, he's got something for you. And he's going to be glorified. But he's going to be glorified through his wrath. He's going to be glorified whenever he executes justice on all those who refuse to delight in him like he created you to do. I wrote a little note down right here. It said, treasure God and let it be a joy to live for him. The reward is out of this world. Treasure God and let it be a joy to live for him. The reward is out of this world. Do you remember the parables that Jesus would tell about the kingdom of heaven is like? He would say the kingdom of heaven is like a, a precious pearl that, that a man found in a field. And when he found this pearl, he, he, he went and he's, he hid it in the field. And he went and he sold everything that he had. 
And then he took that money and he came back and he bought that field just so he could have that pearl. He traded everything in his life. He so treasured that pearl that nothing else was more valuable to him. He delighted himself in that pearl. Do you see that? And because of that, he says the kingdom of heaven is very much like that. A person who will delight themselves in God as their treasure, as being worthy of selling whatever and leaving and walking away from whatever you have to walk away from in order to live for Him, you have found a great treasure and promise you the reward truly is out of this world. That's a promise. You'll be able to say as Paul said, I count all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, I count all those things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. My next thing, I'm going to move on, comes from verse, let's go down to verse 5 through 7. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. I want you to think about what that backs up, what I just said. I said that those who will delight themselves in the Lord, he will give them desires of their heart, right? Well, right here it says it again. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And when they delight in you, then the earth shall yield her increase. Then the blessing of God comes down. And then he says, God, our own God, shall bless us. God, our own God shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. And this comes to my last point. My fourth thing, God's purpose is to be feared in the earth. A lot of people will take this and say, well, the fear of the Lord is just, it's not really fear. That's, that's what we've been taught all our life. And that's fine if you want to believe that. I'm not going to try to sit here and talk you out of it. I'm just going to tell you what I believe. I believe the fear of the Lord is absolutely fear. I believe the fear of the Lord absolutely is love. I believe the fear of the Lord absolutely is reverence and awe. But make no mistake about it. It's fear. You think back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. God began to speak to the people and he said, Listen, I want you to talk about all the things that I have done to your children and in, in your family uh, when you get up, when you go to bed. I want you to do all these things and talk about them, but I especially want you to remember the day that you came in front of me at Mount Horeb to hear my voice, and I shattered the rocks into pieces. You know why God wanted them to remember that? Because the next thing he says is so that they will always fear me. So that they will humble themselves and they will stay humble. They will always recognize my greatness. When God's people told Moses, said, Moses, let God speak to us. We don't want to hear from you. Let God talk to us. And God said, okay, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to talk to them. They come and they bowed themselves down in front of this great Mount Horeb. And as they were sitting there, wouldn't you know it, God came down and spoke to them all right. And it was so loud and so piercing and the, it broke rocks into pieces to the point that they backed up and said, Moses, tell him we've heard enough. We'll listen to you from now on. But don't let God speak to us anymore. He can speak through you. That is fear. That is keeping you in a place of humbleness that you will always remember the greatness of God. And that's what he wants all the world to see. He wants all the world to see how great he is. Remember, he is God. He is the creator of all things. And he wants the world to see his greatness of everything that he has done. So the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. When you truly understand how to fear God, imagine it like this. I know, mo I know several of you are parents in here today. You got children. When, you're a child, when, when your child begins to act up, sometimes you'll smack their leg. You may give them a spanking. Well, they ain't outlawed spanking yet. I think they're getting ready to. But sometimes you give them a spanking. They learn from that that if I act up, what's going to happen? get a spanking. 
So they learn to fear mother and father, correct? They learn to have a healthy fear of their father that if I act up, I am going to be disciplined. But as years go by, children get older. When they're teenagers, they despise you for your spankings, right? When they're teenagers, they despise you for your rules and your laws. But then as they get older, they have children of their own. Many of them will finally come to a point that they'll look at their parents and that fear is no longer there. They're still the same mother and father, but the difference is they have grown to a place to where they no longer fear their mother and father for fear of discipline or things like that. But instead, now they have just love, respect, all. That fear evolved into respect. If it were not for that fear that began with, then you probably would not have no respect from your children. They would disrespect you. But the fear was the beginning of your wisdom that led you to a place of respect and awe. Well, the fear of the Lord works very similar. He says, when you recognize my greatness, you walk a line. You stay where you're supposed to stay. You know there's a reward for being obedient. There is a punishment for being disobedient. But then as you grow in maturity and you become obedient and you begin walking like I walk, talking like I talk, then you learn the respect, the great reverence, the great awe for who I am. So he says, my purpose is to be known, number one. My purpose is to be praised. My purpose is to be enjoyed. Delight yourself in the Lord. And my purpose is to be feared in all the world. And all these things, when you put them together, they cause us to glorify God. When you know his ways and you walk in them, when you know his salvation and you live in it by faith, whenever you enjoy praise, whenever you enjoy praising God and giving your delight to him, and whenever you have a healthy fear of God, all these things put you in a path that you are walking in the image of the glory of God. You take any one of them away and you're out of the will of God. You're out of his obedience. He's glorified when he is made known because we know him by all his wonderful works. His mercy and his grace is what we know him by. So when we make that known to the world by showing mercy and grace, by being kind, by being forgiving, by being gentle, you are displaying the glory of God. That's why you learned last week that when someone tries to take your cloak from you, give him your tunic too. When somebody asks to borrow from you, give it to them and don't expect to receive it back. For what reward have you if you give to those who only give back to you? What reward have you if, if you're not being the, displaying the works of God, His mercy, His grace, His kindness? He's glorified when He's praised for His wonderful works. He's glorified when He's enjoyed by us. I want you to think about enjoying God for just a second, and I'm fixing to wrap it up, I promise. Think about it like this. If someone were to... Um, paint a beautiful painting I mean the painting's beautiful and they wanted you to enjoy it would you enjoy this painting by grabbing a bucket of paint and going up to it and making some more marks on it painting some extra trees in the painting is that the way the artist would have you enjoy his painting no how would he have you enjoy the painting simply stand back and look at it and enjoy it Think about it like this. Um, if someone cooked you a wonderful dinner, I'm talking about home-cooked soul food, um, green beans and mashed taters. That don't even sound good to me. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Ribeye steak. Let's get down to my level. If somebody cooked you a beautiful, beautiful meal and all of your favorite fixings are there and they did it for your enjoyment, how would you glorify that meal would you do it by putting on your apron going to the kitchen and fixing up some more scalloped potatoes to add to it no would you do it by like us men do y'all men know about taking all kind of spices and just trying to mix something up don't we I know I ain't the only one that does that would you go into the kitchen after they cook this great steak for you and find all kinds of sauces and spices and come out and try to make this thing better is that the way you would glorify that meal no, if you wanted to glorify that meal, you would sit back and you would eat till you were full. And then when you got done, you'd set your apron, you'd, you'd put your little napkin down there and you'd set it down and you'd go, ah, 
that was good. Well, God's the same way. God is not asking you to make him more glorious. He's not asking you to go out and do these things so that you so that you can so that he can be made more beautiful. You can't make God more beautiful than what he is. He's asking you to take the blessing that he has given you, to take the grace that he's given you and simply use that to display his glory and enjoy him. Sit back at the end of his blessing and at the end of his, his day and think about the reward of, of that supper table you're going to sit at on that day. Think about the reward of heaven. You know, I, I heard a brother say one time, when you've ate God's cooking, ain't nobody's cooking taste the same. And that's the truth. I want you to think about all the wonderful things that God has prepared for you, for those who he wants to reward for being the image of his glory down here. And you ask yourself a question. Is he worth it to you to give up everything for? Or are the things of this world more important to you than giving them up for God? That's the question you have to ask. The reason that I come to this message this morning and wrapped it up like this is because this week I've really been struggling with knowing we're getting so close. We, we had a business meeting Sunday night and we've, we've dropped under our mark of where we were looking so forward to getting to with our note and it's, it's fixing to decrease quick. Within a few months, Wells Baptist will be completely debt free. Debt free. No, no, nothing. And then i got to start asking the question, how is Wales Baptist going to fulfill the Great Commission? First, in our community, how are we going to make him known, make his salvation known? How are we going to, to lead the people into praising him? How are we going to do all these things to show his fear into all of the world? First, starting in the community, and then going out into the county, and then to the state, and then to the world, what are we going to do? I've sit down and I've looked at all of our strategies and all of our plans and all of our, our things that we do, our, our Christmas plays and our, our hee-haws and, and, our, and our Sunday school programs and, and all these things that we invest into, and I ask myself the question, are these the things that are going to display God's glory to the world in the best way that we can. How can we put ministries together here in Wells Baptist Church? What direction would you have us to do, God? What, do, a habitat for humanity? A, a home for, for teenagers that have nowhere to go? Um, a, a halfway house? Um, I mean, you know, I've just run so many things through my head. And I'm saying, God, you know, what direction are we going to take to fulfill this great commission? Are we going to focus in Zambia, Africa? Or are we going to focus in the Giles Baptist Association? Or are we going to focus in, in Mexico? Or, or God, what are we going to do here at Wells Baptist Church? And I'm going to tell you what, I got a little scared, Ronnie, because I began to realize that this thing's bigger than me. And I sit back and I thought, God, I don't even know where to start. We're just a few months away from this thing. And I don't even know where to start. And you know what God told me to do? God said, pray and, and listen, this is a lost doctrine to Christians this day and time, but this is what God said do. He said, start right now, once a week, praying and fasting. So next week, I'm going to start a series on fasting. Why fast? What to fast for? What happens when we fast? I'm going to start answering some of those questions and I'm going to start asking next week from Tuesday night supper until Wednesday night or Wednesday evening supper. I would like to call for a fast once a week and us devote that time as much as possible to praying to God for direction as a church family, not just as a pastor. Now, I understand everybody may not be ready to get involved in something like this. But I'm going to start teaching on it. I don't, don't get mad and, and start thinking, boy, that preacher done flipped his top. And, and, and this is the last week I'm going to be in this place. Don't go there yet. Give me opportunity to teach you from the Word of God. Give me opportunity to show you that Christ said when you fast, not if you fast.
Jesus said, when you fast, do this, this, and this, not if you fast. It is a doctrine that has been forgotten, that has been handed down, and I believe it serves great purpose, and I believe that we neglect. I, the reason I, I started doing a study, and I know that this is what God would have us to pray for, for direction, is to pray and fast. So we're going to start that next week. But before we get there as a church, my, I end this series today asking you, in your life, in your life, personally, not just the church, how are you using your time, your resources, and what you do to get this great commission out? How are you showing acts of mercy and love and kindness? Are you clothing the, the naked? Are you feeding the hungry? Are you, uh, are, how, what are you doing as far as displaying the acts of God or are we just living for us? You see where I'm getting at? Examine yourself and see, are, am I using my time and my resources to the best strategies possible to get the most of God's glory displayed into all the world or am I just giving him bits and pieces of what I've got? Examine yourself with that. Begin to pray this week concerning prayer and fasting and get ready for that next week. Start praying right now. You don't have to start fasting yet, but start praying right now for God's direction. These are some big steps we're fixing to take. These are some big things we're fixing to start investing in. And it's all for God's glory. But we will have to have his direction. I'm telling you, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than anything that any single one of us are. He has to lead us.